class is in memory of Echeskel Ben Shmuel. And today, this parsha is Parshat Besharlach. We read about the Jewish people actually leaving Egypt. They left Egypt on the first day of Passover. It was the same day of the week as it was the, as it's going to be this year, Pesach. Pesach is Wednesday night, Thursday. Thursday they left Egypt. They left Egypt Thursday, and they said, Moses told Pharaoh all the time, we want to go for three days, just for three days to go outside of Egypt to serve God. Okay, that when he left, he sent, them, he sent police with them. Then we'll make sure that after three days they come back. It was Thursday, Friday, Shabbat. At the end of three days, they saw they're not turning back. They said, well, why are you not coming back? What's going on? said, we're leaving. <laughs> we didn't leave because you gave us permission. We left because God pulled us out of Egypt against your will because of the 10th plague. The police tried to force the Jews to go back. There was a little fight there. They punched them. They sent them back. <laughs> then they ran away back to Egypt to report that, that the Jewish people are not coming back. The Israelites are not coming back. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, basically took another three days until Pharaoh mobilized his army, ran after the Jewish people. Early the seventh day of Pesach was basically early Thursday morning or Wednesday, Wednesday night, I would say, the Jewish people are standing in front of the sea. They got to a place that was in front of the Sea of Reed. And instead of, and they see who is coming from the back, you see the Egypt is coming back. Pharaoh and his army are coming back from Egypt, are coming back to attack the Jews, to force them to go back to Egypt. And that's what the story is coming, uh, is, is about. Let's read source number one. Four groups at sea. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Jews go and have lost them as slaves. So Pharaoh had his chariot ready made and took his army with him. Made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Jews who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Jews and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Harit, the opposite Baal-Saphon. Basically, they came. They came back. And really, the Jews never left Egypt because as long as they are, Egypt has power over them, as long as the, as the army can bring them back, they are still not free people. They, they left Egypt, they thought they, they're already out, but they are not out. The, uh, the army is after them. Egypt is after them. As Pharaoh approached, the Jews looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried <coughs> out to God. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to die in the desert? Ah, that's so nice. First of all, they said they cried out to God. That's the normal reaction of a person. He should cry out to God. But then what they said to Moses, they didn't tell Moses, look who is here, unbelievable. Then uh, they didn't tell Moses, 
that they, that they that please pray for us, help us. They were angry with Moses. They complained to Moses. What they told them in a sarcastic way is there are not enough graves in Egypt that you took us out to die in the desert. What a nice way to say thank you to Moses. And to continue what they said uh, to Moses. Why, uh, what, what have, have you, you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They told them, didn't we tell you in Egypt we don't want to leave? That's what the truth. The Jews did not want to leave. <coughs> Most of them did not want to leave. And they said, you, you kind of forced us out of Egypt. But now, well, look what happened. They right away blamed them. What does Moses answer? Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of God. See the deliverance God will bring you today. The Egypt you see today, will, you will never see again. God will fight for you. You will remain silent. Moses told them, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation of God that he will do for you today. Can I ask you, this is probably a dumb question. Yeah. I know the Jews didn't want to leave, but you have to live among your own people who are enslaved. Right? You don't want to leave where your own people are enslaved. Why is that? You know the Jews? Some had it well, some didn't have it. You know, you know Jews? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't look like they They didn't want to leave because better to live in a civilized country as a slave than in the desert as a free man. That's what most of the people will tell you, right? And we spoke about it yesterday and why the Jews did not leave in 1933 from, from Germany. Why, why Jews today don't leave from uh, certain countries that there is wars? I mean... Not all of them, though. I mean, even in early in Germany, they there tried is to get out. Really? Most of them didn't. No, most of them didn't. 90% of them started to wanted to live in 1938-1939. After I spoke, a family came over to me and told me, that's the story of my grandparents. They, they, one child was born in 1933, the other one in 1936. And by this time, she didn't, her grandmother didn't go to the hospital to deliver the baby. She was afraid they will give sores. They, she delivered her in her own house. Mm. They only left from Germany in 1939. That tells you what's go what's going on. The same thing was there. They didn't want to leave Egypt, no. Because you, what you used to, what you have, and the, by that time they were not slaves. You know, from Rosh Hashanah, from the day the plague started, they were not slaves anymore. <laughs> then you, people have a very short memory. Life is good. Why to live? That was going on. Then right, and now Egypt is coming. What he said, look, you tried, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Who they blame? Moses. Moses had this dream, right? Fine. Then God said, let's see what God said. Then God said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Jews to go forward. It means God was, Moses was praying to God. God told them, why are you crying to me? Just move forward. Don't. Here comes a very interesting piece from the Jerusalem Talmud. What was going on in front of the sea when the Jewish people saw the Egyptian on one side and the water and the sea on the other side. Obviously, every Jew had an opinion, at least one opinion, <laughs> at least one. Now, let's see what was, this is four general opinions that the Jewish people had. I'm sure every one of them had another 15 opinions, but in general, that was the four camps. Okay, please. Source two, Jerusalem Talmud. Our ancestors split into four groups at the sea. Only four groups, that's really refreshing. <laughs> One said, let us drown. Another said, let us return to Egypt. 
Another said, let us wage war with them. Another said, we will cry out to God. Let's stop right here. One said, we are trying going to be, we try to, yeah, I'm not going back to Egypt. I'd rather commit suicide than going back to Egypt. I'm just not going to do this. The second group said, we tried, it didn't work, we'll go back to Egypt. Finish, we tried, this was very nice. Moses, you're a good man, you tried very hard. All nice and fine, it didn't work out. You know, everything in life, it doesn't work out. Plan A doesn't work, plan B, plan B, we'll go back to Egypt. The third group, what, well, go ahead. They, they, by complaining, going back to Egypt is basically revolting against. They, yeah. First of all, you see, they give their own opinion. They don't tell. They don't ask Moses. Moses, what do you think you should do? Mm -hmm. Nobody is asking. The Jews, everybody knows out around the country. <laughs> Three million prime ministers. Everybody is a prime minister. <laughs> the third group said, "Let's wage war." They said, "What do you mean? We are strong. We'll go fight them. Why you don't give up?" Those don't be. That's what the young ones. <laughs> strong ones. Mm. Number four, the fourth group said, let's pray to God, right? What would you, which, group, which camp would you join? <laughs> what do you do in Egypt? If you were there, which camp would you join? I'm sure I wouldn't be <laughs> jumping in the water. <laughs> you don't know when you, until you'll be there when yeah. group Good point, there. good point. Well, 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 one of the things that never discussed is, the, the, you know, the first prince to walk into the water. Maybe he was part of that. Nobody trip. walked into the water at this moment. No, 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 it was I'm all outside. That, but I'm saying if you think about it, somebody says, okay, I've had it, I'm going to drown myself. He jumps in the water. No, no, no. <laughs> These people, the water wouldn't split for such people who want to commit suicide. No. The water doesn't split to somebody who has so no faith and no future and no hope and no nothing. You just want to, ju to right. jump to the you water. You pray to God and then go fight. Yeah. Then you know, I asked this question. I asked this question. Of, you're right, you can have two more. That's what he yeah. said. I asked the question, kids in Ibu school, over the years, many times. And by the answers, you can see who they are. <coughs> the kids who said, I will commit suicide. They were troubled kids. I knew right away. I was, that was, if I would be a psychologist, I would take this little piece and I would be able to diagnose the kids in five minutes. Yeah. You can see by the reaction, where the, the, story, the kids will say, we will fight it. Then the kids say, no, we'll go back to Egypt. It was like unbelievable to see the reaction of the kids. They are not so smart as the adult to say, I, you don't know until you're there, because that's the truth, you don't know. <laughs> okay, Moses answered them, go ahead. Moses told the ones who wanted to drown, Stand firm and you will see God's salvation. Those who said, let's jump to the water, commit suicide, said, stand firm, don't move, don't jump into the water so fast. Moses told the ones who wanted to return to Egypt, the Egypt you see today, you will never see again. That was came right here, God said a commandment. The Egypt that you see today, you'll never see again. And there is a commandment in the Torah, three times written, that the Jews should never, should never go back to Egypt. But what does it mean that you you will never return, that's all it means? That's, uh, you will never, yeah, you will never. Egypt will be different that, uh, from now on. Then it means to say there is, this is the first place, but there is another two times in the Torah, it's written that Jews are not allowed to, allowed to go back to Egypt. But Egypt was different, right? I mean, they were the most powerful, mm. they haven't been, I mean, they were crushed. They declined. They, they had, but they had ups and downs over the history. You're right, they were never so powerful as them. Yeah, this is true. One second, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay, one second. <laughs> 
Okay, the next, the next group. Go ahead. Uh, Moses said to the ones who wanted to wage war, God will fight you. The people said, let's go, let's go to war. God, he says, Hashem ilachem lachem. God will fight for you. God will fight for you. Yeah. Moses told the ones who wanted to cry out to God, you will remain silent. Oh, not even to pray. Why not? Somebody wants to pray to God. I'm all for prayers. That's my business. Right? <laughs> if you're not praying, and well, well, nobody's going to come to shul, then what? Because he already prayed for them, whatever. And oh, and even, a, he prayed for them, and God told them, why are you praying? Even God didn't even like that Moses is praying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, now, now we'll read what the Rebbe has to say. Go ahead. This is the story, and this is the Talmud with the four, with the four camps. Now the Rebbe is analyzing what happened there. Where did the Talmud derive it from? The lengthiness of Moses' answer teaches us that he was responding to four camps among the Jewish people. To those that advocated jumping into the sea, Moses said, stand firm and you will see God's deliverance. To those that advocated returning to Egypt, he responded, the Egypt you see today, you will never see again. To those that advocated war, he said, God will fight for you. And to the fourth group that advocated crying out in prayer, he responded, you will remain silent. Yeah, that's it. Summed up the whole discussion that we just <coughs> had. Jumping into the sea, self-sacrifice. Now the Rebbe is trying to find the Jewish logic to the four opinions. They're not just crazy people. Let's commit suicide. There was a logic behind it. Jewish people always have a good explanation for everything that they, 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 they promote. If, it, if it's true or not, it doesn't make it. But must be if the Torah repeats, the Torah says, the Talmud brings the four opinions, obviously every one of the four opinions are legitimate opinions. They're not just said. Then we ought to understand what is, what is the Jewish logic, the Torah logic behind these opinions. Go ahead. Jumping into the sea, self-sacrifice. The first camp advocated jumping into the sea. These people maintain that the nation needs to sacrifice their lives in order not to return to Egypt. Following the giving of the Torah, we were commanded to sacrifice our lives in order to avoid trans transgressing certain specific commandments. This group among the Jews maintained that the mitzvah to leave Egypt was such a mitzvah that requires sacrificing their lives if necessary. Oh, there is, you know, there is three mitzvahs that a person is obligated to give his life and not and for, for uh, to to commandment and not do them. For example, somebody forces you to worship idols. Torah says you rather with a gun tells you you, be, you shoot you or you worship idols. A person should choose to die than worshiping idols. And the same thing if somebody tells you kill another person, you better. And the same thing if committing adultery. This the three methods. At that time, these people had this attitude. They said, if God told us to leave Egypt, then we're supposed to leave Egypt. If it means to die, we'll die. We need to jump into water, we'll jump into water. God doesn't want us to go back to Egypt no matter what. That's a test. And let's see if we can, we can pass the test. That was, that was the logic. They said, we are God, there's a mitzvah God gave us. He made ten plagues. He wants us to leave Egypt. Moses says, God wants to miss. We are going all the way. We are not stopping, no matter what. Mothers. Continue. Moses had led them out of Egypt. They had seen God's great wonders, and they had been told that this is a divine redemption from their difficult exile. 
Suddenly, 600 chariots arrive in order to return them to slavery in Egypt, contrary to God's will. This camp among the Jews concluded that they must sacrifice their lives in order not to return to Egypt. The only way to do this was to jump into the sea, so that's what they believed was required of them. Because to win the, the war, they didn't think it's possible. There was the only way that for sure we are not going back to Egypt, we are not falling as prisoners of war and going back to Egypt, is by, by, by dying. That for sure we'll never go back to Egypt. They felt this is the will of God. God wants us to give our life for, for, for the sake of his name. Sometimes, throughout Jewish history, many Jews gave their lives for the belief of God. Throughout history, many, many, many Jews throughout history. Many didn't, but many chose to do it. Then maybe, I mean, there is Rabbi Akiva was burned uh, alive because he was teaching Torah in the time of the Romans. There is the 10 martyrs. There is unlimited amount of stories throughout history. Then they felt maybe this is the will of God and we're going to do what God wants and finished. Even before they were given the Ten Commandments, like that. The, yeah, that was their attitude. Even before we were given the Ten Commandments, okay. that's that's the amazing part. They felt that this is this is obviously it was not everybody. Say so that's a camp. It's not written if in the camp were ten people or two hundred thousand people. It was a camp. How many people were there in this camp? A few Hasidic Jews. What do you think? <laughs> not too many. The second group. Which was to elevate the design. Turn it down. One second, one second. They, they said, you know, there is something that's called Avodata Birurim. Uh, there is everyone, wherever we go, wherever God takes us, we have a mission, right? We are there for a purpose. That if God took us to Egypt, obviously, He's supposed to accomplish something in Egypt. He's supposed to bring God to Egypt. If God is taking us out from Egypt, it means we finish the job. When people go on a trip to China, they think they go for business, they're not going for business. God can give him his business in Cleveland. If he's going to China, it's because God wants him to do something Jewish in China. If God schleps you to a different certain place in the world, it's because God has a mission for you. And they felt that if God is, if there is the Egyptian coming to take them back, maybe they didn't finish the job. Where you see that God wanted them to take out from Egypt good things, God told them to borrow gold and silver and clothing from the Egyptian, right? What do you think they did with the gold and the silver that they borrowed from Egypt? Well, no, no. first, yeah. and you say, both of them are true. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, they had free choice. Yeah, then God wanted to take the gold and the silver from Egypt <coughs> to do with it something for God, to elevate it, to bring the best of Egypt out. You're right. People have free choice. They made, many of them chose to spend it on the, on the golden calf, that they brought it down again. But the goal was to take the best of Egypt and to bring it elevated to God. Our job in the world is to elevate everything to God. What does this mean? When I have a cup of water, and I say a blessing before I drink the water, I recognize that the water belongs to God. That I sanctified the water, if you want. 
If we take a building and we sit down and we learn Torah there, or we do a mitzvah there, we bring the, the place to its purpose. The job of a human being, the world is natural, not good and not bad, neutral. We tune it, we, make, we decide if it's going to be good or bad. I have a cell phone, I can speak with it to other people, good things, or I can speak gossip. I can make from it a vehicle for good or a vehicle for bad. The cell phone is not good or bad, that's what I do with it. Then God sent the Jews to Egypt to bring godliness to, to Egypt. Now, 210 years passed, God sent Moses, he says, let them clean up Egypt and leave out. Mission, mission accomplished. Now they see that the Egypt is coming back. Obviously, obviously the mission is not accomplished. Then maybe you should go back. That was the logic way to go back. Not because you're going back, we love Egypt. The spiritual explanation, for sure there were some people who wanted to go back because, because they, want, they loved Egypt. But the most serious people, they were, if the Torah is mentioning it, must be that there is a spiritual reason, a Torah reason, a holy reason why they want to go back to Egypt. Continue. Sorry. <coughs> See, everything that happens to a person has a purpose, has a reason, it's a message from God. That if God somehow, I went back because I forgot my shooter, or whatever it is, then must be that I still have to do something good. If not, God would make me forget. And bringing me back, there is a reason for it. People who live their life like this are living on a different level. I mentioned it in the past, was once by the Rebbe, used to be the, in the early years, was a small synagogue. But then there used to be downstairs, where it was a place that was open. It was like a garage with a, with a roof on top of it. But it was, they used to play, play this, use it when it was a big crowd. Then one Shabbat after the holidays, the, the first Shabbat after the holidays, the Rebbe asked the Gabbai, he says he wants to go pray, he should pray to this Shabbat downstairs. He came back, he said that up downstairs is dirty, and cold and wet, I think, something like this. Very cold, he said, cold and schmutzig. In any case, then the rabbi didn't go downstairs. Then it was the whole event took place upstairs in the small synagogue. Then one of the talks, the rabbi said, we got a message from God tonight, to this morning, that downstairs is cold and dirty. He didn't look over it as the gabbai just told him, uh, a description of the synagogue, of the place downstairs that is dirty and you cannot pray there. He looked over it as God sent a message to him that downstairs by us, after the whole high holidays, and after the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Simchas Torah, it's still cold and dirty. It means we are, not, we, did, we are not yet on the right level that we're supposed to be, spiritually. Then a person, a tzaddik, lives his life with this awareness that everything is a message from God. And God wants to tell him something. And all of us, we can be, let's say, somebody, something doesn't work out for us. Somebody tells us, oh, you, somebody insults us. We can do with it two things. We can be insulted and keep a gotcha for the next 200 years. Or we can ask ourselves, I can even tell yourself, this guy's an idiot, that's okay. But God sent it to you, obviously, there is something to it. God wants to tell you a message. 
There's a story about King David. Then, then uh, one somebody cursed him at one point and he's running away. And King David said, God told him to curse. What means God told him to curse? The guy did not, uh, did not get any messages from God. But David looked of it as God told him to curse. Because if not, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't come to him. Then when you live this way, live your life with this awareness. If the Egyptian come back, obviously, we didn't clean up Egypt good enough. But in the, the specific case of Egypt, yeah. how many Sadiqim or Hasidim were there? A handful. Oh, you know, you, went, you took well, a survey. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? The, the, they, they they keep, we keep hearing about how they were idol worshippers and they didn't... Yeah, 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 but there is enough. There was a big crowd, you know, I mean, there's enough. And again, we didn't say how many people wanted... Some people want to go back to Egypt because the, because the, the sushi was very good. <laughs> but some people wanted to go back to Egypt because they wanted, they felt that this is the right thing. In every group, there is a, when, when a whole group of people wants to do something, everyone has a different reason why he wants to do this. Some people have holy reasons, some people have selfish reasons. But here we're trying to look, the Rabbi tried to find the, the good reason. If the Torah counts it as a reason, obviously there must be, there is some spiritual logic behind it. Some, Torah logic behind it. Continue. In, in our case... In our case, the Jewish people were commanded to empty out Egypt. The Talmud explains that this means that they were instructed to leave Egypt like a bird trapped, like a bird trapped empty of food, and like an abyss in the sea empty of fish. Seeing the Egyptians coming out to chase them with 600 chariots, and with nowhere for them to run, they took this as proof that their role in Egypt had not yet been completed. They therefore decided that they must return to Egypt for an additional period of time in order to elevate the divine spark that evidently remained. Yeah. And so I that's the Rebbe's interpretation, right? Yes, yes. I mean, who's to, not that I'm going to argue with the Rebbe, but who's <laughs> to say that they got the ocean on one side, the sea on one side, 600 chariots, and they're like, I'll oh, tell you, I'll tell you, I'll oh, tell no, you. no, we're all going to die. Like, let's just go I'll back. tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. If the Torah finds, if the Jerusalem Talmud finds it's important to bring the four opinion, it's not to tell us that the Jews were afraid. For this, you don't need the Jerusalem Talmud. Hmm. Every child understands it on his own. If the Torah brings it, and we learn it, and it's written in other places in the, in, in the, in the Talmud, in other places, in the, in the Chilte, in other places, then obviously the Torah wants to tell us something here. Yeah. It's not just, you know, or to tell us, oh, these people were, it's not a story. It's much more than a story. It's a lesson. And the lesson is that there is, that we want to tell us there is some logic in this opinion, but it's still, when it came to this case, it's the wrong logic. But just to say they were afraid, then, then when, the lesson is for the future that if you have this holy logic, don't think it's the right thing, even if it's the right logic. And if it's based on the Torah, it still sometimes could be the wrong logic. Yeah, That's right. what you learn here. So we and we, personally, we face these types of decisions every day. Absolutely. We, we don't, we're not aware of all the things we're doing, but we're making decisions automatically and then coming, but coming to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're coming to this decision every day. How do we know necessarily which one is oh! which category? He did it, he did it. Oh, uh, that, that's my point, and that's why we learned this, to know what is the right decision when it's in my life. When I have to split the sea. Yeah. We talk about it every day. Like, uh, I'm sure your wife talks about it too, like anxiety. Is that fight or flight response? It's the same thing. We have crossroads every single every day. day. 
Then the question is, should I say, oh, if God wants me to go back to Egypt, I should go back. We all find excuses and sometimes legitimate excuses. And you ask yourself, what is the right decision to make? What is the right thing to do? The third group. Why? The third camp advocated fighting the Egyptians. The general rule that we can't rely on miracles. The Jewish people were few in number and weak in strength relative to the Egyptians, who had 600 chariots and great military force. Why then did they even consider trying to fight them? The answer is that they simply saw no other choice. To jump into the sea would be suicidal, contrary to the Torah's command of preserve life. Returning to Egypt would contravene Moses' instruction to leave Egypt. They therefore argued that the circumstances indicated they must fight and employ all possible military tactics in an attempt to overpower the Egyptians. You, you know, sometimes you have an argument with somebody, with a, with a person who politically is on the other side of the, of the, of the, of the aisle. And the same logic that you use in one way is using the same logic and the other way the opposite. And you can hear, and you can be, can be strong and fight it, or you can, you can hear how people can think the, the opposite of you, and they are, they are sure they're doing the most important thing, the saving humanity. And both of them are from the both sides of the, like from the two extremes, and both of them believe that the truth is with them. And the same thing is here. They say, committing suicide, are you crazy? It's against God. Going back to Egypt, God says you should leave Egypt. We'll go for the war, we'll see whatever, whatever will happen, will happen. We have to try our best. Call out in prayer. The fourth group appears to have advocated the best solution, praying to God vigorously and loudly. This raises the question, why didn't Moses agree with this approach? Why didn't Moses adopt a position? Jews want to pray and Moses tells them to be silent. What's going on? They want to pray. They went the coming Shabbos in the morning to Shul to pray. What you don't let them pray? They want to pray. And then you, by, you ever saw by Jews uh, reset and talk? <laughs> Everyone comes to the talk ready. He has his opinion. He has his, not only his opinion, he already knows what to disagree <laughs> with the other guy because you hear the dog guy. It was a crisis. It was no time for a nice sitting talk around the table, a conference room, and uh, making a conference, and everybody has, now we hear you. What do you have to say? No, it doesn't work like this. Oh, that even by praying, sometimes it's a sign that you don't trust God. Because, because, then God tells you to do something, then you sometimes praying can also be an escape. Rabbi, what I've been with you, that you just decided that not, you shouldn't be praying for whatever it is. I, 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 God never told me anything to do, and I, 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 it's so clear. <laughs> Moses didn't reveal himself to me and told me what to do. But I, I, praying is also an action from God. God told me to pray and told all of us to pray, not only but me. there was also, there was a fifth option which none of the four camps was willing to consider, which was the message that was given to Moses. Wait, wait a second. Mo let's see what Moses did. Continue. God said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Speak to the Israelite, Israelites and tell them to go forward. Sometimes there are situations that could call on us to pack our towel and tuck to fill in 
Go outside and split the sea. Oh, one, one second, one second. Then he said, even Moses, <coughs> who pray, pray to God, obviously God told him don't pray. And even Moses prayed. Moses prayed in kind of for everything. Look what's going on here, just save us. God told them, just move on. I told you to go to Mount Sinai. Go. Then sometimes even prayers is an escape. When God tells you to do, somebody is a, is in the middle of a fight. Somebody is drowning. I pray for him, jump into the water. Don't pray now. What are you praying me? You have to jump into action. Praying will be a crime at this point. And that's what, what go ahead. You say God said to go to Mount Sinai. So it was already itinerary that it should be Mount Oh, Sinai? the itinerary was clear, yeah. I thought it was just get out of the Egypt. No, 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 no. They told Pharaoh they're going for three days. Moses knew very well they have to go to Mount Sinai. Everybody knew at this point that if you're going to Mount Sinai, yeah. God told them you go to serve me on this mountain, a specific mountain. Right in the beginning, God told Moses, tell the Jewish people they will serve me on this mountain. It was this, the same mountain that God revealed himself in the burning bush. It's the same mountain that was later they served. And that's Mount Sinai. Yeah, absolutely. They knew. There was itinerary. They know where they're supposed to go. But they just were trying to save the situation. But nobody was thinking about the obvious. Just move on. Everybody came up with another opinion. That's because it was scary. Look how scary it was. <laughs> I know. When Moses was, I mean, they have to go back to the revolution. I mean, I don't want to go jump forward here a little bit. I mean, after all, I mean, he said that he revealed himself to Mount Sinai, which is a couple of weeks ago. Um, what we know is, like, you know, he was in Midian, right, at that time. No. He was working for Jethro, right? And that's what he was revealed. But also, we know that Midian is all, also, if you look at the or they call it Habash. No, no. Right? You're asking where is Mount Sinai? I mean, the thing is, it's a, the proximity is yeah, 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 absolutely... Yeah. Danny, Danny, where Mount Sinai is, is a whole other discussion that mm. nobody bottom line knows. Mm. And we are not even going to find out where Mount Sinai is. Yeah. This alone that we don't know where Mount Sinai is means it's not about Mount Sinai, is wherever Jewish people are on Torah. We don't know where Mount Sinai is. That's a whole other long discussion. Then, what the Rebbe says here, at what means in our life, sometimes we have to fold, what do it mean the Rebbe said, fold the thousand film? We put on thousand film when we pray every morning. Sometimes we have to fold the thousand film and go out and split the sea. It's not time to pray, it's time for action. What does this mean to split the sea in our life? Split the sea, should you do what? Where is the water, I want to jump. What should you do exactly? And oh, go for whoa, 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 whoa. what is this man? Okay, go ahead. The Talmud says that everything on the dry land has a parallel in the sea. The difference between the land and the sea is that the dry land we can see everything, but in the sea everything is concealed. All we can see is, is the water. This is it, taking to the state of exile in which we don't see God. God wonders, and everything is concealed. There are miracles and during exile, but the only God is aware of them. And even the subject of the miracle doesn't recognize the miracles that have happened to him. True. We don't recognize the miracles because we live in a state of concealment and it appears to us that the world is just following its natural course. Says what he says is like this. What is a sea? What is the difference between sea and the dry land? The sea is covered with water. 
The dry land, you see all the animals. Talmud says, everything that's on, this, in, in, on earth, on the dry land, there is in the sea. The same amount of animals that's in the dry land, the same type of animals is in the sea. But you don't see anything. You see the water. Everything under the sea is covered. Dry land, everything is, 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 is revealed. What means to split the sea? To uncover what's on the dry land. What does this mean in our life? The world is a cover-up of God. We mentioned in the past, in Hebrew, I say world. Olam. Olam. Olam also, there's two meanings to the word Olam in Hebrew. Elem. Elem means a cover-up. The world is a cover-up for God. What does this mean? You accomplish something, you have a good business deal, you think you're the smart one. I did it. Really, God met you, made it. If you would put on the right lenses, you would see the end of God. In the olden days, we were open miracles. Today, we do not have open miracles. That people think that they do it. I'm strong. No, it happened to me because I was smart. I invested right. I was exercising so many years. That's why I'm living so long. I took the right vitamins. Everything is me, me, me. It's mine. Credit to me. I have good doctors. I donated to the, to the hospital, and they took care of me. Because when I win 97 and a half, they'll take care of me very good. That's why I give them $10 million. It's all about I do it. But if you think about it, who gave me the strength? Who gave me the success? It's all from God. How is it that I, want, I went to the right place and I bumped into the person I didn't, never thought I would bump to him, and we had a conversation and he got me a job. And you see the end of God. The day before you were lost, you have no job, you have no life. Suddenly, how everybody, every person got married. In many cases, when you stop. In every case, there is a, it, it's many, it's many things, many, you never thought about it, the connection made. Then we are naturally, it's written that the Torah says, God makes miracles, it means to say, God makes great miracles and only he knows about that. He doesn't even tell us that he makes miracles. Almost like a parent takes care of his children and the child doesn't even know about it. I'm not going to tell your child, you know what I did for you. You take care of it. You go to the teacher and you tell him, you know, he had a very bad night yesterday. Don't bother him and this. And the kid comes and the oh, was the tutor? was very good to me. They go, so just, you don't know what he did before, what he, what he did after, what he, what he worked out for you, a million, a million, I think you tell to somebody, you have a teenager, you go to somebody, can you give him a job? And then you, your son comes to an interview and he thinks, that he, because he said A and B and C, that's why he got the job. And so on and on. Then by God, is much even bigger than that. Splitting the sea means start to recognize that everything that happens in the world is from God. That means splitting the sea. Open your eyes and see how miracles happen to you in your life. And everyone has it. It's just a matter of looking at it. Splitting the sea revelation. Go ahead. Splitting the sea means uncovering, concealing, revealing godliness even during the time of exile. This is the meaning of God. Instruction. <coughs> Speak to the Israelites and tell them to go forward. The march jumped into the sea and split it. Uncover the concealment. When we do this, we will witness God's deliverance, just as Jewish people doing uh, When you recognize that God is helping you, He will help you again. The whole goal of these things is to God brings us to a place. You should see that he is the boss. I, many times I mentioned this example. 
And it's like the world is like a party. Like somebody sponsoring a Kiddush in Shul. But he's very quiet. He's shy. And there's another guy comes. He says, oh, how was the food? Everybody says, thank you. Oh, that was very good. People think he sponsored the Kiddush. <coughs> and everybody's saying, thank you. And the guy who actually sponsored the Kiddush, he's sitting on the side and nobody tells him thank you because he's, because he's shy and he's quiet. And somebody else takes credit for everything. That's what's going on in the world. The world is running, God is running a world and we run around and take credit. I did this, I did this. What you did? You did nothing. You are, you are a guest in a party. The Talmud describes the world like a party, like a wedding. There is somebody, the parents are paying for the wedding and nobody even sees them. If somebody sponsored a huge wedding, the whole crowd is coming and they say thank you to the wrong person and this guy stands by the door and greets everybody, <laughs> smiles and hugs and everything. And people show that these people are not funny. But doesn't this create anxiety for people, the idea that you really don't have control over anything? And it, it, in taking this approach that it's all up to God's control and all of it, it creates anxiety, at least for me. I like to feel like I'm in control of something. You have to try your best, but if it work out or not, is in the end of God. Actually, with the right attitude, not only it doesn't create anxiety, it reduces anxiety. Because, you know, if things didn't work out your, your way, you wanted to go on a trip, well, late was the traffic, you missed the plane. Never happened to you, but it happened to all of us. <laughs> um, you think to yourself now, if you think, oh, if I, if, if I would just go a little bit early, then usually you blame your husband, you blame your wife. The first person who is closest to you, you blame him. Because you cannot blame the government and everything that you have to marry somebody to blame him. <laughs> but <laughs> then, then what, what is the point? Then, but if you think about it, it happened from God. What, what am I getting so upset about it? God didn't want me to be on this plane. Relax. It reduces anxiety. But then, but then if you take it a step further and you look at all that goes on in the world, it's not good, and things that happen to people, accidents and, and illness, that creates anxiety for me. Like, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. But, but one second. But can you control it? No. No matter what. Right. You say you want to control, but you cannot control no matter what. Ninety-nine. Over what? Myself. You have no control over yourself. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. Ninety-nine parts of our life, we think we have, we have no control. Do we have control if we will stay healthy? If we'll be healthy? Do we have control how our business will go? Do we have control? We have control over nothing, really. It's an illusion. That's why I'm saying it's a cover-up. It's an illusion that you have control. We have a, we have a, in 2008, everybody lost his 2-1-K, what is it called? Two, oh, you know, 2-4-K. Became a 2-1-K. 401 k whatever it's called. You lost all your money, right? You saved and saved and saved and saved, and in one minute, everything was gone. Completely not out of, out of your control. And so in every part of your life, if you look good, you'll see nothing is in our control. Now you can be upset about it and depressed, or you can say, that's the end of God. If God wants it, this is the way to go. I can try, one second, I can try to control, I, can, I don't know what will happen until this from this minute and further. I have to try my best. What, what will be the outcome is completely in the end of God. Go ahead. No, no, no. But the point is there, obviously, that hey, if you uh, take an approach for everything, then you 
don't want to do anything. You don't want to improve anything in your life. God no, it's not true. No, no. I mean, I'm no, extreme, obviously. I, I, listen, that's people who don't want to do things if can find... Nothing in control, then... Okay, that's just one of the camps. Well, that's the people prayed for one of this. That, that's not that when people don't want to do, they find every excuse in the book. I know when I don't want to do something, I have a good, quite a few good excuses. Yeah. And I don't have to blame God, I can blame many other people and find good excuses. The point is just the opposite. God is the call is a call for action. The Torah is a call for action. You must get up and do things. But the outcome is in the end of God. I can do everything. You, we can try, you have an obligation to try. You, you have, we have an obligation to fix the world, to make the world a better place. The Torah, was cre God created the world not perfect for us to perfect it, to make it better. That's why the Torah starts with the letter Bet. Bet has three sides to it, and one side is open. Because God created the world not complete, and we are, our job is to complete the world. Therefore, Jewish people are on the front line of innovation and fixing and trying to do everything. But what will happen with it? If it will work out or not? If it worked out or not, instead of sitting and beating yourself up, if I would just do this way, you know, you see it, God forbid, when people take care of a, of a loved one who was sick and it didn't work out, and they, they just sit later for night and night and drive themselves crazy, if I would just do this and we just do this and just do this, and they ruin their own life. Or you go to a meeting, to a business meeting, and say, if I would just tell them this way, he would do this. And they just say, well, you can only learn for the next appointment. But to beat yourself up, why you why didn't get this business business deal? Because it's not yours, it's not good for you, and it doesn't belong to you. And God wanted <coughs> you should go there just for the experience. Should become a better businessman, a better salesperson. That's how Judaism, that's the healthy way, that's the most reducing stress um, practice available. If you think you start to think about that, you see it reduces your stress, not only brings your stress. This I'm sorry, we, we just come here. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> if I would save, meet you a little earlier, yeah. I, the only problem is I cannot give you a certificate, <laughs> a permit. Okay, go ahead. Rebbe, leave your comfort zone. We can't split the sea while we are standing and and dry land. We need to go forward and jump into the sea. Only when we do this, we can truly go forward from our previous state and witness God's deliverance and see how he is fighting for our, on our behalf with the great wonders that the Jews witnessing during the Exodus. What he says is like this. How, you can, how do you split the sea? <coughs> you split the sea, you have to jump into the water. There was one person who jumped into the water. Who was it? Nashon. Nashon. When, the, when God said, Moses said, go, let's go to the water. He, put, he picked up the, the, the Stephanie and he ate the water. But the sea was split, the Talmud tells us, because one Jew jumped into the water. The way to split the sea is to jump. As long as you're on the dry land, the sea is not going to be split. To be able to split the sea, you have to jump into the water. What does this mean exactly? We're going to learn in, in a minute. We'll skip from this to the next page, number 11, the Rebbe, the second paragraph. Then we, then we we'll go to the source. We can take this. Go ahead. Yeah, leave your comfort zone. We can take an example from a person who is pursuing repentance. If he only takes measured steps, it will be difficult for him to leave his previous state. This is all the mood to regarding a person who isn't given the opportunity to repent. 
and is only able to achieve repentance if he forces his way through his on his own. Okay. The, um, what he says here like this. The Rebbe brings an example from something that's called a Baal What's a Baal Somebody who is coming, who is repenting. He did something wrong and he's repenting. How to repent? It's, you, there is one way of repenting is that you go step by step. You change your ways a little, little by little. But what, what happened in this case, many times you go back. You fall back. Your real repentance is when you make, you go all the way to the other extreme. You jump out of your situation, you go to the other extreme. Only then you can repent. Because if not, it's n uh, you will never be able to do it. Especially in repentance, there is a situation, let's say, let's read source number three. You want to read? Mandel, right here, on this side. It means to say, somebody who says, I will sin, and then I'll repent. You're not allowed to do it. It's okay. I'll sin. I'll have a good time. Then I'll come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did it. And the Talmud says, God, don't give him a chance to repent. Because he's planning on it. He's counting on it. That's not repentance. Then the Alter Rebbe in the Tanya says something very interesting. What means is that you don't give him a chance, but... But he has a chance. What does this mean? Read this. One is not given the opportunity to repent. The sages use this language to say that one is not given assistance to repent. But if they push and really try to overcome their bad inclination and repent, their repentance is accepted. If he's not given the opportunity to repent, but if he pushes himself in, he gets an opportunity. And the Rebbe brings an example, a story, from a, Talmud, a, a beautiful Talmudic story. We, we taught it once. There is a story about a rabbi, <coughs> Elisha ben Avuya, right? There is a book, what the name of the book is in English? You don't know there was a book about Elisha ben Avuya, Acher? There's a book in English, it was written in 1965. A novel based on the Talmudic story. I forgot the name of the book, you don't know that? I don't. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, like, a uh, like a leaf, something like a leaf. Look for it. In any case. Any books with the word leaf? Avuya. Acher. Look for Acher. Alicia Ben Avuya. There's a book, guys. I can't believe you didn't read it already three times. You're making it in the library. <laughs> <laughs> the Talmud says, let's read the story from inside, then we'll talk about it. Go ahead. Oh. The sages taught Acher was riding a horse on Shabbat and Rabbi Meir was chasing after him, wishing to learn Torah from him. He told him, Meir, retreat. Acher was, Acher is name, Acher means the order. The order means Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya is a famous Talmudic scholar. At one point he became an heretic. And he left the yeshiva and he became against the Jews, basically. But one of his disciples continued to have a relationship with him. Rabbi Meir. As a driven leaf. As a driven leaf, thank you. I have to teach you. <laughs> As a driven leaf. Your phone is now really elevated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then, Elisha ben Avuyo became, but one disciple, Rabbi Meir, continued to learn Torah from him. One time, Rabbi Meir was giving a speech, a lecture in Teveria, in the synagogue, Shabbos afternoon. Somebody walks in and tells him, 
your former Rebbe, who is not a Rebbe at all anymore, who is writing an horse on Shabbat, you're not allowed to write an horse on Shabbat, is, is outside the synagogue. You want to see him? Rabbi Meir interrupted his lecture and he went out to see his Rebbe, his former Rebbe. And they started to walk together. And Elisha ben Abuya told them, what were you teaching? And he tells him what he was teaching. He said, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Your Rebbe said the opposite. The former Rebbe was a big genius. And not because he became an heretic, he <laughs> forgot what he learned. And as they're walking around, he's riding on the horse. His disciple is walking next to him on the floor. Now there is a Jewish law that says you can go out from town, out of town on Shabbat, only a certain amount. It's, uh, I think it's 2,000 feet. I rem don't remember exactly what it was in feet. No. No, it's less than 2,000 uh, or 3,000 feet. I don't so remember exactly. In any case, there's a certain amount how much, uh, of how much you're allowed to walk out of the city. For example, here, if you go to Beachwood to Orange, you're allowed to go because it's all built, it's all city. But if you go on the highway in the middle of nowhere, that becomes a question, you're not allowed to go too far on Shabbat. Then the teacher tells the disciple, he counted the steps of his disciple. And he says it's already the amount, he, he was so, so, so smart, told him you're not allowed to walk anymore. It's, you, you it's too, too far. Then he tells him, go back. Rabbi Meir utilized the opportunity. He told, he told his disciple, he told Rabbi Meir, Elisha told Rabbi Meir, go back. That Rabbi Meir turned him, he told him, Rabbi, maybe you go back. He used the word, return back. He said, maybe you return back. He meant to say, return to Judaism. He utilized that moment. Now what he told him, go ahead. Mayor, retreat, for I have measured, and this is how far you can walk on Shabbat. He responded, so turn around yourself. The man answered, I already told you that I heard a heavenly voice proclaim return wayward sons, except for Acher. Okay, the story is, it was two, it's 3,000 feet, it's 2,000 tamot, it's 3,000 feet, now I remember. Then he said, he told him, come back, he told him, I was, I heard already, and God, a calling from God, the voice of God says, everybody is welcome to come back. Beside Acher, Acher was the order, it was him. We heard it. The Talmud tells us that once he was riding on a horse on Yom Kippur, that happens to be on Shabbat, where the temple used to stand. On the Temple Mount. You know, he wanted to make God angry on every level. <laughs> he was riding on a horse on Yom Kippur, not just on a regular Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur that happens to be on Shabbat, <laughs> on the Temple Mount. Not about, he couldn't find a better place. And he says, I heard from God, Shuvu banim shovavim, return my children. But one person has no chance. Acher. That's what he told Rabbi Meir. I have no choice. I'm doomed. God will never accept me back for, back, uh, for repentance. Go ahead. When Acher died, the heavenly court said he will not be sentenced to purgatory, but he will also not enter the world to come. He will not be sentenced to purgatory because he studied and taught. He studied and taught Torah. But he will not enter the world to come because he sinned. He was in a limbo. He cannot take him, he cannot punish him because he learned so much Torah. And he was teaching Torah in his, in his part, first part of his life. He cannot go to heaven because he denied heaven. He, he was an heretic. He denied everything. Then he's not here, not there. He's hanging. Continue. Rabbi Mayer said it would be better if they punish him and, and then allow him to enter the world to come. When Rabbi Mayer approached his death, 
He asked for mercy for Ahir, and God accepted his prayer. Okay, then what, what, then con continue. Rebbe, this was the mistake of Acher. Even though he heard a divine proclamation that he could not repent, he shouldn't have deter been deterred. If he would have forced his way through, he would have succeeded, as indeed happened to him eventually through his students' efforts. Why being the story? Why the story of Acher is in the Talmud? To teach us something. We just learned it's not a book of stories. Even if you hear a voice from God who tells you, I don't want to see you. Go to split the sea. Go split the sea. But how you split the sea? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's true. No matter what, God does you know, you push in. What, what exactly means to push in? You open the door and you stick your foot in. What exactly means to push in in a spiritual sense? That's the, the last uh, issue that we have to end here. Continue. Do whatever the master commands except for leave. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're a guest in somebody's house, do whatever he tells you. But if he tells you leave, don't leave. Mm. It's an interesting statement from the Talmud. We have to discuss it one day. What do you mean he tells you? He tells you leave. I'm telling you leave. What do you mm. mean you don't want to leave? But that's what the, the Talmudic statement is saying. What the spiritual message from it is. This is what the rabbis meant. The master is God. Whatever he commands are the mitzvot, and we must do them, except for leave. If he says to leave his home and not enter, like with Acher, do not listen. Repent, for this is what the master really wants. He is merely testing you. He is merely testing you. If God tells you, I don't want to accept you, don't, don't, take, don't take it for, don't take no for an answer. You ever heard the expression? That's what it's all about. When it comes to God tells you, I don't want to see you, no such thing. I'll push and push and push until I'll be accepted again. What does this mean? Go ahead. The Rebbe. The sages say, obey everything the master tells you, except for leave. Musar works state that this means that a person must always follow the letter of the law, except when it tells you to leave. The Code of Jewish Law and Maimonides state that there are 24 things that obstruct repentance. A person could For example, one of the things is when I say I will sin and then I'll repent and then I'll apologize. I'll do whatever I want and then I'll apologize. People count on this. They, that's what they do. To other people, not just... You're right. I, I didn't want to go there, but yes. <laughs> you could do whatever you want during the week. Go, confess, and then do it again. And then yeah. That's great. Go ahead. The Code of Jewish Law in Almighty says that a person could take this to heart, knowing that he has done one or more of those things, and decide that he needs to leave. He may think that everyone is invited to repent aside from him, Acher. God forbid that one should think this way. About this, we are told to obey except for leave. Don't listen to the letter of the law that tells you to leave. Work hard and force your way in. Force your way in. Many times I meet people that tell me, Rabbi, I'm already too late. I'm, I'm doomed. They don't, don't, don't go to the younger ones. I'm already, I will never uh, accept, be accepted by God. Many times people feel like this. What means to push in? Go ahead. Forcing entries through self-sacrifice. The way to force entry is through acting with, the complete, with complete self-sacrifice. There is a law that states that we may only give up our lives for three cardinal sins. But what if a person wishes to sacrifice his life to avoid a different transgression? Is it a mitzvah or a sin to do so? There is a dispute between Maimonides, Maimonides and other authorities about whether this is do I am allowed to give, to give my life for another mitzvah? We mentioned before there are three things you have to give your life for. Let's say I want to give my life to eat matzah on Pesach. I'm allowed to do it or not? 
Maimonides. Maimonides rules that under regular circumstances, it is forbidden for a person to sacrifice his life. But Maimonides agrees that under certain conditions, pious individuals are allowed to sacrifice their lives, even for other commandments. The Midrash relates about a person beaten with mortal blows for eating matzah and other such mitzvot. These aren't the three cardinal sins, but nevertheless, as an act of piety, it is permitted to sacrifice one's life for this. People wanted to do it, did it, and the Medrash tells a story in the time of the Greeks. Go ahead. Yeah, please. He asked him, what are these wounds between your hands? And he said, I was beaten in the house of my friend. Why are you being stoned for circumcising my son? Why are you being burned for keeping the Shabbat? Why are you being killed for eating matzah? Why are you being whipped for, being a, for building a sukkah? For blessing the lulav and for wrapping tefillin? For wearing tachlet? For fulfilling the will of my father in heaven as the first saints? He asked him, what are these wounds between your hands? These wounds caused me to love my father in heaven. To be loved by my father, trelet. Trelet. He says... Basically, the Medrash say, shows the Jewish people gave their lives for other mitzvahs. The history proved, and the Talmud speaks about it as an accepted thing. That means to say what the Rebbe wants to say it. How you, get how you push your way in when God sees that you're ready to risk your life for a mitzvah that you're not obligated to risk your life. That means you're ready to, that's, that's, how, you, that's how you're being accepted back to the club. What means to push in? I'll pray a lot. I'll push Let me push in. And you're ready to go the extra mile. You're ready to give your life for something that you're not obligated. When you're ready to die for monger and not to eat, not to eat chometz and Pesach. Oh, now we mean, you saw the humane business. You're ready to risk your life for, for, for getting a lulav and sukkot. Things you're not obligated. You have the way out. You say, what should I do? I can't do it. What should I do? You're ready to risk your life for making a brit milah, a circumcision, for things like this. That means you're pushing your way in, that even if you don't deserve, even God says, I don't want to see you, when you do something extraordinary that you were never asked for, then you can be, then you're welcome back. That's what that means. It doesn't, so it doesn't necessarily mean risking your life. It means doing something more extreme that you usually don't do. You are ready to do it. It doesn't mean you're that ready. you have to actually die. But if you're ready to go all the way, and God says, oh, what it shows that, means that the guy really means it. To pray, yeah, God, please make me back, take me back, I really love you. We need, you need to see that you mean business. If you're ready to go all the way, no matter what, that you miss that you show, that you mean it. Okay, please continue. This can be achieved through leaping. When a person follows the regular process from one level to the next, he cannot reach such a level. This can only be achieved by a person who leaps beyond the regular process as Ramonianese describes a person who is wicked and then repented to the extent that God himself testifies that he is completely righteous. Naxxon's sacrifice for the sin. We, we'll, we, this we learned about Naxxon. We'll go to the last page, 16. When Naxxon heard Moses say, speak to the Israelites and tell them to go forward, he went forward. It made no difference to him whether he was walking on dry land or into the sea. This is the direction to Mount Sinai and the giving of the Torah. So he went forward and jumped into the sea. He did this with complete dedication and self-sacrifice, not knowing that God would save him. This sacrifice is what caused the sea to be split for all the Jewish people. 
that's what it's all about. It was not like the other guys were having opinions. We should do this, we should do this. They had the whole committee. <laughs> they were sitting around the beer, yeah. They had four opinions and they were not sure what they're going to do. Nachshon Moses said, go, move forward. God says, move forward. He's moving forward. There is water. He doesn't care what's there in front of him. He is doing what God wants. He didn't count on God saving him. I don't know. He didn't have, nobody knew that God can split the sea a second before it happened. I can promise you this, right? You wouldn't even know. You wouldn't know either. He went. And only because Nachshon was having faith in God and going all the way, the, speed, the sea was splitted. All, if we want to split the sea <coughs> in our life, is we have to be ready to go all the way. And we are not ready to go all the way, it's not going to work. You have to be ready to go, no matter what will happen, that's what I'm going to do. And only then things fall into place. When you start to make call collections and committees and in the meetings and this, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> nothing ever happened from committees and meetings. It's all about doing what God wants. Thank you. <laughs>